Hey, 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 welcome to the Taylor Talks podcast. This week, I am so honored to have the amazing Carling on this show. Carling Middlestead is the producer and co-host of I Did Not Sign Up For This Podcast, a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community, dedicated aunt and step parent, and just an all around rock star. We are going to deep dive into a really interesting topic that might be a bit triggering for people, but it has to do with a dad and a death and a whole lot of fun stuff. So I challenge you to stick around. We're going to do a fun giveaway at the end. And I can't wait to hear what you think of this podcast. Carling, what would you love the world to start talking about? Oh boy, I want the world to talk more about grieving your parent that wasn't your superhero, that wasn't as amazing as everybody thinks. Oh, right? (laughs) Yeah. So before we started recording this, we were chatting about this because I also lost a parent in a similar situation, right? Where everybody else had them on a pedestal. It was amazing. It was beautiful. It was all of these things. And that wasn't the person I knew. That wasn't the person I had been raised by. So let's start with your childhood. What was your dad like? Talk to us about your dad. Yeah, my dad was funny, charismatic, outgoing, charming, the center of attention. You know, He was a narcissist and a businessman and a banker. And, you know, he, I think he wore many different hats. And I think lastly, he was a father. Narcissist. That's a hard one. Yeah. He, you know, when I look back through his family and I'm like, oh, my grandpa was a narcissist. Oh, you know, his brothers are narcissists. And yeah, yeah, it, it just ran in that family. So what was it like being raised by him? He wasn't very present in my life. It's really interesting because I have an older sister who's just not quite three years older. So you would think that we would have quite parallel experiences, but it was very different. He, my sister, the sun rose and set with my sister. And, you know, he, he even joked like the family joked that she was the golden child. And like, where, like, where did that leave me then? I was not, you know, the opposite of that. Yeah. And, you know, I can think even in home movies, I can look back and see, you know, where, you know, it's like the eighties and he's got his camcorder and he's, you know, talking to my sister about something. And then I teetle into frame and he shoes me away really quickly. And, you know, like we have video evidence of the favoritism. And my dad was a woodworker. He was a very skilled artistic woodworker. And he, you know, he created one of examples. He created this incredible, I think it was oak box, like a memory box or like a trunk for my sister. And he had it gold plated and it said like to Danica love dad and the date and all this stuff. And I think maybe she was 16. So, you know, I was just a couple of years younger than that. And I was begging my dad to make me something. And I asked for a bench for my room, just like a simple bench so I could put my stuffed animals on it or something. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. And then finally, my mom one day was like, you need to get in that garage and like, don't come out until you've made something for Carling. And he like used some like scrap wood, didn't really like it was just sort of like put together. It wasn't, you know, this like craft craftsman piece of furniture that maybe he would have made 
for my sister, you know, and that was just like that for some reason that I will never know, my sister could do no wrong. And, you know, that in me developed somebody who was just always trying to get his approval and always trying to get his attention. And, you know, I just wanted to make him proud. And I just always fell short of it. And isn't that wild how those actions, like you can look back on it and it just, it just creates the biggest feeling of resentment. Yeah. Right. But also it's just pure rejection. Yeah. Right. Which then, which then like plays out in the rest of our lives. Let let me tell you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would, I would go on later to, I'm a lesbian, but I would marry a man who is exactly like my father and I, and it, he ended up being abusive and horrible and, you know, closed that chapter on my life. But yeah, like I just, I was just seeking something from somebody that I never got from my father. And, you know, even to, you know, maybe on his deathbed, I got it. I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's tough. So Talk about the end when he was, when he got sick. Can I ask what he died of? Yeah, he got, he had a, like a rare form. It was like acute leukemia, basically. And there was a slight chance that he might be qualified for like a bone marrow transplant, but they, but they found a match and that was fine, but he was so sick. He wouldn't have survived the chemo required to do before. Oh, okay you know, he ended up passing before, you know, that process even started. Yeah. Yeah. So he had, you know, he had, his health had kind of been deteriorating for maybe like maybe a year, not quite. And they couldn't quite figure out why. And he was always getting blood transfusions. And I had been working really hard on establishing boundaries within our relationship. And so I don't think I was very invested in what what he was going through and, you know, what his experience was. And I think that came across probably to his wife and him and her family that I was quite cold. And then when he finally went into the hospital, they were allowed, you're allowed two visitors. So he picked his wife and then he named me. And I was shocked because like I automatically, I was like, oh, it'll be my sister. Like, that would make the most sense. And even, it, you know, in the hospital, he was like, you know, I thought about your sister, but, you know, she's so busy with the kids and her career. And like, it, it was sort of this like passive, like he didn't consider my stepkids or my partner or my career or, but I was like, oh, okay, I'm your person, you know? So I sat with him every day for two weeks in the hospital until he ended up getting moved to hospice. And then I sat with him Every day at hospice, he was only in hospice for about five days before he passed away. Oh, wow. So it was fast. Like very fast. Yeah. Yeah. How did your sister deal with not being the chosen one at the end? I think my sister is very, maybe similar to my dad. Like, I don't think she took it as negative on her. I think she was, I'm the emotionally stable. I'm the, you know, steadfast, hardworking, can get through anything kid because I had to be. And I was like protection mechanism. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, you know, I kept my sister really updated, but she was also really emotional. And I don't think her, you know, crumbling into a pile on the floor in the hospital room would have served anybody. And I think she recognized that my dad recognized that. So I was sort of the messenger 
you know, until he could go to hospice and then everybody could visit him. But even then, like her visits were pretty short. She's quite religious. So they were very sort of like religious focused praying. Yeah, it was almost like it was almost like she was there for her to say goodbye to her dad. And I was there to hold space and be witness to him passing over to the next thing, whatever you believe in. Yeah. So in that time, so this person who has rejected you, ignored you, pushed you away your entire life, how hard was it to sit there day after day after day? Because there's this interesting thing that no one talks about is you can love someone and hate them at the same time. Yeah. I don't think I... Right. And not saying you hated him. Do you know what I mean? But like you can, you can feel like a super positive and super negative emotion towards someone at the exact same time. Yeah. And what was really interesting was I had, because I'd sort of drawn these boundaries with him where, you know, I wouldn't give him much detail about my life because it wouldn't phase him or he would dismiss it or criticize it. And I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't that involved in his life and I would really you know, have to be in the right frame of mind to visit with him before he got sick. And so suddenly being with him every day for those three weeks, uh, it was really interesting because I got to see who he was to so many people. I posted on Facebook with his permission that he was in the hospital and not doing well. And the people that came out of the woodworks to share stories about how he went out on a limb for them, advocated for them, you know, did a favor for them, gave his last whatever to them. And the people that came and visited him in hospice from his family doctor who cried with him to, you know, like colleagues. And it was, it was just so, I was like, who, who was this man to these people that I never got to have? That was never my experience with him. And so it was really interesting to sort of see, you know, I, I found myself feeling more sad for other people that they were losing him than I was sad for myself. I'm genuinely upset that my, I don't know, aunt or my grandma was there, his mom who's in her 90s. And I can't imagine watching my kid die. Like, that's not the way it should be, you know. And so I really found myself grieving for other people and being sad for other people for who they were losing but not necessarily me for who I was losing. Okay. So we had chatted about that a little bit before we got on here. And I know I had revealed to you that when my mom passed away, we had a really hard relationship. And one of the hardest things for me when she died was this massive shame that was 100% attached to the fact that I felt gratitude for the fact she had died. I can't believe I'm going to say that on here. Yeah. <laughs> I did write about it in my book. So people have heard it before, but it was, it was a thing, right? Because there were so many parts of my life that were so hard because of her and right. The same boundaries that I put into place dealing with all of that. And she died in a car accident. It was very sudden. There was no chance of a goodbye, but the night before she died, we'd had a really bad conversation. Oh, wow. Where she told me she was going to divorce my dad. She was going to walk away. She just couldn't handle having a sick husband. He'd been in a logging accident. There were complications after. And she was like, nope, I'm going to just leave him. And this is just going to happen. And I remember like one of the, I did say, I love you at the end of the call, but our last conversation, I was like, if you leave dad, because he was in a logging accident, you're dead to me. Yeah. 
because I can't respect you anymore. Yeah. And that's disgusting. And that was our last conversation. And she passed away the next morning on her way to work. Wow. And even in that, like, there's the grief of knowing that she was gone and I would never have her again. Right. But a grief of like, I'll never get to know the mom I wanted to know. Yes. Yeah. It was a huge piece of it. And I remember when I did her eulogy at her funeral saying to my husband after, I really wish I had known the person that all of those people knew. Yeah. Right. That my siblings knew that her grandkids knew that her friends and family and everybody else knew because she was a perfect stranger to me in that way. And it felt like I was writing a eulogy for a stranger. Yeah. Because that wasn't my experience. And it was hard. I don't know about you. Did you find it hard with like the sympathy and the pity that came from people? And it's like, I didn't know that person. Yeah. And I think people, you know, just assume that your dad is your superhero. Your dad is your rock. Your dad is your guiding light. You know, I even looked up like quotes about dead dads and daughters. And, you know, I was like, no, none of this resonates with me because I didn't feel that. And so to do his eulogy and his obituary, you know, I really wanted to for him, you know, I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't wish him ill will. I didn't hope he died. You know, it was just this like weird. Yeah. It was was like balancing act of honoring who he was for all of these people and still leaving room for myself to feel like, oh, like, why, why didn't I ever get that? What was the biggest thing that came out of that for you? Like the person who you wished you had known? Yeah, I think, I think it's left me. It's no, it's left my inner child. I can, I can distinctly tell the difference. It's left my inner child wondering, like, what was so wrong with me as a little kid? Because I look at little kids, and I'm like, how can you like favor one or the other, you know, I don't have my own biological kids, but I have nieces and nephews and, and stepkids. And I can't imagine doing things that would make them feel bad like that, you know? And, but I guess I'm not a narcissist is what my therapist always reminds me. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I wouldn't get it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's probably a good thing, but you know, it, the fact that I found myself advocating for this man who never advocated for me in my darkest time of need. And, you know, I was, I was being, I was caring for and being tender with this man who was never caring and tender towards me. And it was, it was, yeah, it was like a choice that I made, you know, I, I suppose I could have chosen to not and, and to maybe reestablish a boundary, but I really felt like that's not me, right? Like I, like I, that's, I would have, I think regretted it more maybe putting a big boundary up than, than not, but it's sort of left me with this. What am I grieving? Who am I grieving? Oh, for sure. So what are some tips that you would have for a listener on how to grieve in a situation like that? Yeah, I think give yourself space. And I think I, you know, I talk a lot lately about sort of like holding space for things. And I'm very good at filling space with all the things that keep me distracted from feeling certain things. But 
you know, some days I'm like really mad at him and some days I'm really sad for him. And some days, you know, I think just sort of like honoring the emotion that you're feeling in that moment or day and not not expecting that you should be feeling a certain way, but just letting yourself like live through that feeling. Because I think too often people think it's like, you know, however many stages of grief, it's not linear. And it's not, you know, it's somebody once told me grief is like a tiny ball in a box that's always bouncing, you know, and at first the box is really small. And so every time that ball bounces and hits a side, it hurts, you know, and there are some days where my box is really big and the ball barely bounces and I don't even think about it. And then other days things happen and it feels like every single thing I do, I'm reminded about the fact that my dad is dead. One of my favorites is always like waves on the ocean, right? And I use it with clients all the time is like when you first walk in, it just like tickles your toes, right? And that's when you're in the like denial stages and stuff. But then you walk in and you hit that point where it can like knock you on your butt and it's the water is like really intense. But that seventh wave comes and just plows you over. Yeah. Right. But you have to push through the hard part and you might be diving into those waves and fighting to get through them. But then all of a sudden you get far enough out into the ocean and all of a sudden it's just these beautiful giant swells. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's a good analogy. And sometimes we just have that seventh wave day. Yeah. Right? With those moments. So what are the hard parts of... So losing your dad, the person you didn't know he was, and now there's all these like almost character traits and stories out there about him of who he was... Do you struggle to believe that that's who he was? No, I think wholeheartedly that's a piece of who he was. I think being a narcissist, you know, he was very charming. And I don't know that I think there was maybe a, an intention behind everything. Mm-hmm. He was very calculated and oh, incredibly calculated. Yeah, he was married six times. And I think it's because he was very good at being charming, but not very good at being himself long enough or maybe his true self would come out I don't know yeah so I think I I choose I'm actively choosing to enjoy those stories because that is that person's experience and I I'm not going to go to that person and be like well that was actually a lie like that was that was their truth that was their experience and I I think I could have very easily chosen to become really bitter and mad that I didn't get that. You know, I'm sad that I didn't get that piece of him and I, you know, work with that, but I find myself choosing to appreciate those stories. And I think it's, he wasn't married to this current wife very long. They were only married for three years. And so I also feel this sort of like she didn't, I think, you know, like if you look at the movies and parents are married for 50 years and then one of them dies, all of your memories still live in that home, that other parent, that other, you know, but like for her, they were only married three years and I don't really know her or her family very well, but they had him high up on this pedestal and they were sort of his, their memories with him are much different than his fifth wife or his fourth wife or all of these things. And so it's really seeking out the people that had these memories of him and, and just choosing to appreciate them rather than being bitter about them. Which is a really phenomenal way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, but 
Oh, it is. It's very hard. (laughs) One of the things for me is as I was healing and I would hear things about how she thought about me or felt about me or, you know, just different things of my life. I was doing a big healing journey about eight months after she and my mother passed away. And I kept wanting like honest answers from people. I'd be like, no, no, no. I actually want to know what she thought of this. And I actually want to know what she said about me. And I like, I need you to just like take her off the pedestal for a second and have a brutally honest conversation with me because this is part of my healing. And were you surprised? Not overly surprised. I was surprised at how they couldn't admit anything, Hmm. like just denied it. And I was like, yeah, but you know that this happened. Like you were there, like you were in the room when she said this. I know that you know this. And they'd be like, no, that couldn't be what happened. (sighs) It's like you're being gaslit, gaslit by grief. I felt like I was so being gaslit by grief because nobody would open up. Nobody would be honest with me. Nobody would actually talk about it. And I was like, no, no, no. You can keep her on a pedestal. like, And I've always been open about the fact that my mom was an outstanding human, just not to me. Yeah. So it's like, it doesn't take away from her amazingness if you tell me how she really was about me. Right. And it was finally um, my mom's best friend right from my childhood that I phoned her in tears one day and I was like, I just need to know her different. And I need to know what she said in your long conversations. And I need to know what her thoughts were on situations that went down in my life and on traumas that I had dealt with. And I said, I know this is really, really a hard ask, but would you be okay with me asking you and honestly answering these questions? And it's been really interesting because she did. I finally had found somebody who was like, no, 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 I can see the good and the bad in her, right? Like I experienced it. I saw it. I will be open with you about it. And it was so healing for me to, to have those answers. Was it really, it was probably really validating, right? Oh, huge. Have somebody witness. Yeah. Right. But it's been cool now because her and I have stayed really close. I just got back from visiting her in Northern BC a few weeks ago. And to this day, she's one of the only people that will even talk about my mom. Wow. Like nobody even talks. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And I've heard that a few times lately that in grief, people just stop talking. They don't like, it's like the pictures get put away and the stories get put away and they no longer discuss that person. It's like, no, they're dead. They're gone over. Yeah. Where I'm like, no, no, no. Like she's still part of our lives. Like <laughs> That was, that was my mom. <laughs> right. Have you gone there? I know it's been fairly recent for you, but have you witnessed any of that in your own family? I th- not so much the not talking. I thought it was interesting how many people, you know, sort of come out of the woodworks and say, we're going to have to keep in touch. We're going to have. And then after the funeral, nobody keeps in touch and nobody reaches out, which I think is okay. Like, I don't want to sort of have these contrived relationships with people just for the sake of keeping my dad's memory alive. But I think, yeah, I, I find myself what I didn't expect. I I find myself like thinking like, Oh, I should pick up the phone and call him. And when he was alive, I worked so hard not to do that because I was trying so hard to hold a boundary because I always ended up disappointed in the outcome of seeking his approval or, you know, trying to have a conversation about anything to do with me. And, you know, like I just got a new job and 
this morning I was like, shoot, I really like just have this urge. I like get choked up thinking about it to just call him and tell him. And I like posted something on Facebook and people, I was kind of snarky about it in my head because people were like, oh, like he would have been so proud of you. And I was like, mm, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> no, that he would have. Or if he was, he wouldn't have told me, you know, like, yeah. you know, he would have looked for a way for to brag about it, to show that he was such a good father because he had a daughter who just got this job, you know, not, yeah. not look at my daughter, but look at me, the father of this daughter. And so I was sort of like, oh, I really want to call him. And then I was sort of laughing because I probably would have been crying anyway, because I would have called and the conversation wouldn't have gone the way that I hoped and I wouldn't have gotten his approval the way that I wanted. And then I'd be just as upset as not being able to call him because he's dead. You know, like it's, it's yeah. so true. It is so <laughs> true. One of the things that someone told me years after my mom died was create in your head the mom you wish she had been. Like take the best parts of who she was and write that down and rewrite the description of who your mom is. Right? To like recreate that story of who she is. And then talk to her. And so one of the things I did for a long time was I had a journal and it was like a two-way journal in my head of like, this is me like writing her letters, but not getting the flack of what her reaction would have been. Yeah. So even now, sometimes I'll be like, mom, you'd be so proud of me. You'll never believe what I did today. Right. And I'll just like write it out or I'll speak it out and be like, yeah, I did. Or like, if you could see how this person has turned out, you'd be shocked. But even like as my nieces and nephews have graduated or getting married or going away to school, I'd be like, mom, you would have been in the front row at that wedding, like just crying and beaming at your beautiful granddaughter. And it's allowed me to, people listening are probably like, what? But it's allowed me to almost recreate the story of me and my mom. Wow. In an interesting way, right? So it's like, no, 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 she's still actually part of my life in a weird way, but I've recreated what that would look like. And it's, it gives me this really cool sense of like, still getting that, like you did good kid kind of feel, right? Like that affirmation that you are looking for the whole time. Yeah, that's interesting. I would, in my first instinct, thinking of myself doing that is I would get maybe like salty about it because that wasn't the truth. You know what I mean? Like I'm giving him the benefit of, Oh, I wrote, I wrote nasty letters in there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think in my healing journey, I have not gotten real pissed at her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know one time in the hospital, he said he was sorry for not being a better father. And I remember just being like, what do I even say to that? Like, he doesn't know what that means. He doesn't know. He just, I think, recognize that we didn't have as good of a relationship as maybe he hoped. But I don't even think he knew what what it was that didn't make him a good father. And so I was like, it's okay. Like, I don't know, what do you say to somebody on their deathbed who apologizes for... I refuse your apology. Yeah, like, I'll think about <laughs> it. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'll let you know next week. Not totally sure how I feel about this. Yeah, yeah. No, it is it is a super interesting one. What are the best words of advice you've been given in the few months you've had? What are the best words of advice you've been given around grieving? Because that is something we're not taught how to do. Yeah, people think that 
I don't know, people just think that grief is like linear or, you know, now that they're dead, you don't talk about it. And it's probably best just not to bring it up. But I think, I think just like the best piece of advice was just sort of like honor, you know, like I said earlier, honor how you're feeling in any moment, you know, on the first father's day, I wasn't sure how I'd feel. And my partner lost her dad when she was a teenager. And so we joke that we're part of the dead dad club. And, you know, and (laughs) we ended up, we had to go to the dump. So we had like a truck full of stuff and we were like, figures we'd have to do this. Our dads are dead, you know, and we just, we really like brought this like sense of humor about it. And after everything, we'd be like, well, our dads are dead, you know, and that really, I think got me through that day because we were finding a lot of humor in it. And then you know, there were other days where out of the blue, because it was a Tuesday, I was really sad and crying and a song would come on and I am, I never cried, bro. You know, I just like, didn't want to cry, didn't want to draw attention, but I'm like letting myself cry and letting myself feel sad. Good for you. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's really hard. It's hard. It's not just as easy as just letting out the emotion that you're feeling, but it's okay to laugh about it sometimes and it's okay to cry about it sometimes. And I think it's okay to admit that you didn't have, like, I think my sisters posted a lot about like, my dad was my hero and he was, I am who I am because of him. And I think that's her truth. But like, I'm not going to post that. I'm not going to post these big sappy memorial posts on Facebook or Instagram or anything. And that's okay. I think I was maybe like, Oh, should I write something? Should I but I was like, No, that's I'm not gonna fake grieve him. It's not authentic. Yeah, yeah, it didn't feel authentic. And, you know, I I don't think people, I would wonder how many people I see posting about the death of a parent, how true it is when when they sort of glorify this person after their death because it it maybe wasn't that great and that's okay but we feel like as like we should yeah right like we should glorify it and we should go there yeah one other thing i would say about grieving is like you said everyone comes out of the woodwork at first there's all the things right but if you genuinely not saying if you don't you don't care if you don't do this but everybody's there for the first six weeks. Yeah. You get a lot of attention and a lot of love and a lot of everything for six weeks. Show up at the six week mark. Yeah. Right? Like that's when you need to show up for your friend. Yeah. Or for your family member is when everybody else, it seems like everyone else has moved on. Life has continued. You're just getting over almost the shock of it all and dealing with the aftermath of things. And all of a sudden you sit back and you're like, holy, I just lost how many weeks of my life and not in a bad way, but like, I'm just now at this point where it's like, holy, now I have to figure this out. Yeah. And it was, it's a very lonely feeling. It, Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really lonely. And I think people just think to themselves like, oh, don't, I don't know. Like, it's like people have good intentions and I don't think those people were lying when they said. Not at all let's keep in touch. I think, you know, their intentions were probably really great, but I think people should consider reaching out on those, on those anniversaries, the first birthday, the first father's day, the first, my first birthday, what's that going to be like? Yeah. And just, I think just because I don't post that I'm sobbing and sad every day doesn't mean that it wouldn't be nice for somebody just to reach out and check in. hundred percent. I know. I thought after I was like, 
Never again will I, when someone dies, go, oh my goodness, yes, we need to get together. Yeah. Right? Like ever. It's like, I am so sorry. Done. And bring the person up. Bring the person up. Ask questions. I love when someone is like, tell me about your mom. Yeah. What was she like? And I can laugh about how she crazy she was. And I can laugh about all the funny stuff. But my mom was an, like I said, she was an outstanding human, just not to me. Right. So she, so she taught me so much about loving people and hospitality and like gardening and a love of laughter and all of these things. Like she taught me so much in her life. Right. And I can, I can take those, I can take those and be so grateful for them. So to even to this day, when someone is like, what was your mom like? I'm like, let me show you a photo. Let's have an honest conversation about what she was like and experience her together. And I think that that's something people forget is, yes, we lost them. And yes, it's hard, but there's nothing worse than forgetting them. Yeah, I think people get uncomfortable with grief. And especially if they're not super close to somebody, they don't know how to sort of like hold that space for them. Oh, 100%. 100%. Right? They don't. They don't know how to hold that space for them. So we talked earlier about just like holding space. What does that mean for you? For someone to hold space for you, what does that mean? How do they... Like literally, what does someone do? Because this is a term that gets used. And I always joke about like hating the self-help industry for that. Because it's like there's all these like vague, weird terms and concepts. But no one actually tells you like, what to literally do. How does somebody hold space for someone in grieving? Yeah. I mean, I think for, you know, I think starting with when my dad was in hospital and hospice, holding space for him, which a lot of people I realized couldn't do, was just sitting in the room with him. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to talk. You don't have to be doing anything. It's just literally sitting there so that they're not alone while they die. And there were so many people that would come in and I was blown away that they couldn't help but talk to every single person in the room that was sitting there to make sure there was always somebody talking when I think it was actually more just about sitting there and just letting dying is a not great process. And I think you just don't want to be alone. And then I think for people that are grieving, holding space is meeting them where they're at. My best friend lost her husband um, three years ago. And so holding space in the early days was like one day she would literally be laughing about something. And so I would laugh too. And then the next day she would be so angry. And so I would be angry with her or facilitate the thing that she was angry about. And it's just sort of like not trying to fix or not trying to take somebody from one state of mind to another. And if I'm just crying because I'm sad, that's okay. I you, like your job is not to stop me from crying. Your job is to just let me cry, hand me a Kleenex, <laughs> and then when I start laughing cuz I'll probably start laughing in a few minutes, pick up there and you know, start laughing yeah. with me, but yeah, I think people too often want to like, oh, somebody's crying, I should hug them or leave and let them cry alone rather than just like just sit with them. Oh. It's a it's okay if somebody's crying. They need to. It's therapeutic. It's, it's actually really healthy. It's really cleansing. I can't believe I'm saying that because I was the one that never cried, but now I just (laughs) cry at everything. Not a bad thing. Yeah. One other thing I would add to that is 
show up in different ways. Yeah. So it doesn't mean don't buy flowers. Don't send a deli platter in the first week. Like none of that matters. None of that matters. Hire like a house cleaner to show up three weeks later when they're in the, like the depths of their grief and their ho- toilets need to be scrubbed. Yes. Do things like that. Just like super basic, super basic fundamental things. Go to their house and fold their laundry. Yeah. Invite yourself over for coffee sometimes. And look around and really just be like, okay, how can I love on them even more right now? Yeah. And I can keep inviting them out, right? Oh, even like if they say no a hundred times. Yeah. Invite them every time. Invite them every time, even if you know you're going to get a no, because you don't know the time that they're going to be like, yeah, I need out. Yeah. Right. And then they have that escape. Yeah. I can, I laugh. I can be really prickly when I'm emotional and it's probably self-defense mechanism, but I just, I value so much the people that know me enough to just like love me even when I'm extra prickly because maybe my grief comes out in that my anxiety is making me really upset at the, I can hear the fan in the other room or I can, the way the dishes are clinking in the dishwasher when it's running. Just, just love me through that because it's stemming from grief or it's stemming from, and I, I just value those people in my life that get that side of me. Isn't that amazing? I know I, if I'm grieving or if I'm having a bad day, don't touch me. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> do not hug me. Do not touch me. <laughs> yeah. Don't, like that. And that I've been that way since I was a little kid. Like if I need a hug, I'll be like, can you hug me? Yes. <laughs> but yeah. I am. I'm like that where even my husband, he cracks me up because like something bad will happen. And even like when my grandma passed away, he looked at me and he's like, do you need a hug? And I was like, not yet. <laughs> He's yeah, like, not right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. So he sat beside me while I sobbed on the couch. And then I was like, okay, I need a hug. <laughs> He's like, okay. <laughs> but it's part of grieving. I find is really like, it's not what you need. It's what do they need? Yes. And knowing their love language, I think. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Between friends, between my best friend, her love language is gifts and, and, you know, and so she always buys me a mug and I laugh because like that is the last part of my love language is gift receiving. Yeah. But like that's how she shows me her love. And like I want to, you know, whatever it is, then not match <laughs> up. But yeah, it's like knowing what that person needs and like doing it. Totally. So for anyone who doesn't know love languages, Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote this incredible book. I I don't even know how long ago, like in the 90s. A long time ago. Like yeah. Super, super long time ago. Called the five love languages. And it's all on the five different ways that people give and receive love. There's actually a free online quiz at fivelovelanguages.com. And one on how people fight and how they forgive, which are super interesting. Yeah. If you haven't done those, they're super, super cool. So thank you, Carling, so much for hanging out today and for diving into this topic and discussing this. I'm sure people will have questions. If they do check the show notes, because we're going to have information there. We're going to do some sort of fun fun giveaway for you there as well. And for how you can get a hold of Carling and listen to her podcast. But to end every show, we do just like a four silly questions thing. Just fun. We get some good answers. So, and they're just silly. They're just silly speed questions. So first one, what do you spend a silly amount of money on? Starbucks. 
<laughs> what is your drink order of choice? Just an Americano with cream. No, so not the most expensive one, but like the simplest thing I could make at home for a quarter of the price. I was going to say, it's not even a fancy one. <laughs> no, it's not even fancy. It's like $3 at Starbucks, but I could probably make it for 25 cents in my house. Oh, that is so funny. What is the thrill of the Starbucks then? Yeah, I think it's just habit. It's like yeah. the habit I can't break. If there's a drive through I'm just going to go through it and get a coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be rich without it. That is awesome. What would your guess be on how much you spend there in a year? Oh, Lord. I think I probably spend like $25 a week on it. Oh, that's not the worst I've heard. Yeah. I mean, considering it's like the che- literally the cheapest coffee, yeah. you know, I'll just get like a brewed coffee, even just with cream. That's amazing. I had one client who averaged three to 5,000 a month. Oh, <gasps> oh no. Like two meals a day, multiple drinks, buying for other oh, people. That's very yeah. validating. I feel very like, oh, it's not so bad. Oh no, it was atrocious. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, it was out of control. <laughs> it was like fully out of control, but really funny. What's your secret guilty pleasure way to decompress at the end of a day or on a day off? I think TikTok. Oh, watch yeah. your post. Just, no, just watching. It stresses me out when I have to post a TikTok. <laughs> My co-host See? is very into getting, making TikToks and I'm like, oh God, I get so stressed out. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah. Do you have a favorite thing to watch? Like, are you all about like the cooking or the decorating or the sexy cowboys? I'm not even on, I don't even watch TikTok, but this is what I've been told is amazing. Yeah. You kind of get into like an algorithm. No, I think mine are like oddly, it's probably not re- relaxing, but like 911 calls, like they'll post like the transcript of 911 calls. And sometimes it's like somebody admitting they murdered their family. And I, somehow I find that decompressing. That is amazing. I can't explain it. <laughs> um, one of mine is blaring sounds of silence by disturbed. <laughs> like to where it like vibrates through my entire body in my car. <laughs> so I get it. There's something about it. What is a purchase of $100 or less that has most positively impacted your life in the last little bit? Ooh, $100 or less that is positively. What have I purchased? Well, it was $99 that it's like one of those Thera guns. It's like, it's like a massage gun. Yes. Is it amazing? Oh, it's, uh, yeah. Like, cause when you're tight muscles, like I'm always so tense because I just operate on this like high anxiety level and it is so nice to like deep tissue massage. Okay. Good to know. Might be shopping. This is going to get expensive doing these podcasts (laughs) because every time I'm like, oh, I think I might want that. And what is an unusual habit or some like weirdly absurd thing that you love? Habit or weirdly absurd thing that I love? Uh, I Gosh, what do I... A weirdly absurd thing. Like I obsessively play Lego every day. Oh, like with physical Legos? Oh, like have a larger collection than probably anybody I know. That's very interesting. Like have an entire room dedicated to Lego in my house. Wow. (laughs) Like that's one of my weird habits. My absurd things that I love. God, I don't know if I really have like an absurd habit. I would have to like ask somebody. I listen to a lot of podcasts. That's like my, I just like, not into music that much, but like I laugh and cry with people who aren't even in the room with me. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to have to get some podcast recommendations. Oh, yeah. Actually, I'm going to get you to send us some and we'll add them into the show notes for people. Oh, sure. Yeah. Of what they should be listening to. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Carling, again for hanging out with us today and being so vulnerable and open about this. If you want to find Carling, again, check the show notes located at taylorway.ca, my website. And if you loved the episode, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts. And we'll see you again soon. 